I think one of the challenges that we've kind of noticed is generally these AI deployments are not always the smoothest operations. We wrote about one case at the DOJ where they were talking about an AI uh, use case that they had that had been in a pilot stage for more than three years, but seemingly like no updates on that. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, inside FedScoop's coverage of the government's adoption of AI and progress made meeting the requirements of the AI executive order. It's Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. GSA on Wednesday announced a new round of funding issued through the Technology Modernization Fund, primarily to enhance digital service delivery and cybersecurity for key federal agencies. The TMF's targeted investments were awarded to the Department of Justice to improve antitrust enforcement through technology, the General Services Administration for the Modernization of Regulatory Services, and the Armed Forces Retirement Home for upgraded digitization of electronic health record systems. In total, the fund awarded over $70 million to three organizations for the projects. The DOJ's award of $45.5 million was the largest, and it will go towards updated review platforms and improved internal IT services management, improving the case management system capabilities, and simplifying the public complaints process. GSA, meanwhile, will use the TMF's award of $19.7 million to upgrade the e-rulemaking program on regulations.gov. And the Armed Forces Retirement Home received $6 million that will be used to revolutionize healthcare services by implementing a modernized electronic record system that provides a more integral and informative experience for family members and caregivers. In other news, the National Science Foundation launched a pilot for the National Artificial Intelligence Research Resource on Wednesday, giving U.S.-based researchers and educators unique access to a variety of tools, data, and support to explore the technology. The pilot for the NAIR is composed of contributions from 11 federal agencies and 25 private sector partners, including Microsoft, Amazon Web Services, NVIDIA, Intel, and IBM. Those contributions range from use of the Department of Energy's Summit supercomputer to datasets from NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to access for models from OpenAI, Anthropic, and Meta. The idea for Anair has been under discussion for some time as a way to provide researchers with the resources needed to carry out their work on AI, including advanced computing, data, software, and AI models. Supporters say such a resource is needed because the computational resources that AI demands aren't often attainable for prospective academic researchers. The launch comes ahead of a requirement in President Joe Biden's October 30th AI executive order for NSF to establish a pilot project for the resource within 90 days. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. Over the past year, FedScoop has led coverage on the flurry of AI developments coming out of the federal government and the surrounding legislative and commercial space. In particular, the team's reporters have kept a close watch on how agencies are adopting AI technologies in a responsible and transparent manner and what key agencies are doing to support mandates in the recent AI executive order issued by President Joe Biden. Joining me to discuss that and much more are FedScoop reporters Madison Alder and Rebecca Heilwow. Rebecca, Maddie, so good to see you both. Welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks for having Hi, us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, well, really looking forward to talking to each of you about the great work you're, you're both doing in the AI space uh, for FedScoop lately. And, you know, last year was a pretty momentous year for AI. It, it kind of culminated in late October, early November with the AI executive order um, that set out some key deadlines for how the government was going to go about um, sort of setting the tone for AI uh, for both the nation and, and how agencies are going to set out to use the technology. So I'd love to just start out with that as sort of our, our um, entry point into the conversation and hear about how things have gone since the issuance of that executive order by the Biden administration in late October. So the Biden administration's executive order, like many executive orders, has kind of tiers of deadlines. Uh, and the deadlines that were 45 days, 30 days, 90 days have all passed now. Uh, and it looks like from our reporting that a lot of these agencies appear to be on track with a lot of those initial requirements. Bipartisan Policy Center put together a really great resource of all these deadlines. And uh, in their summary, they kind of show that a lot of the deadlines early on are for government, like AI talent. Uh, and, and really that kind of seems to be setting up a lot of the other things that come later in the executive order. Um, and, you know, so far, a lot of the things that, that agencies have been addressing have really been with respect to workforce and, uh, you know, RFIs, getting things, getting things rolling, getting the conversation rolling in the federal government um, on AI, having the first interagency meeting of uh, the people who are the CAIOs at agencies. Um, so we're seeing a lot of activity there, but there's obviously deadlines upcoming. Um, the 90-day deadline's right around the corner, and there will be deadlines you know, for the foreseeable future related to this executive order. Yeah, that's a great start. And you know, you talked to a number of experts about you know, hitting those deadlines and why that's so important. I'd be curious, you know, to hear your perspective on what they had to say and why those early deadlines are really indicative of long-term success. Well, I, I talked to uh, David Evan Harris, who is a, a researcher at, at UC Berkeley, um, and he he mentioned that there's kind of a domino effect here with the AI deadlines, um, where you know what what's important now um, will will kind of expand upon itself later. The, the deadlines later are gonna depend on the actions now. So that's why some of these first actions, even though they're, they're, they're smaller, they might be an RFI, they might be just convening a meeting, um, will be important down the line uh, as, as things get a little bit bigger, more complicated. So, you know, I, obviously both of you spend a lot of time keeping an eye on how federal agencies are going about adopting AI, uh, especially over the recent months. Um, I'd be curious, what are some of the biggest trends you've picked up on either, you know, through your investigations and, you know, FOIA and FOIA-ing agencies or some of the things that sources have told you and, um, you know, some of the stories that you've uh, produced in, in recent months? One of the big trends that we've both been following is how federal agencies are sort of dealing with generative AI. You know, obviously, ChatGPT, um, BARD, a lot of these tools are like freely accessible on the web. And we've done a good amount of reporting about several federal agencies that have just blocked um, these technologies on their network um, or, or created other limits on them. And that's that's really interesting in part because the executive order says, you know, eventually that should should not be the case. Uh, we do want federal agencies to work with generative AI technologies. In general, we get a lot of sense also of what uh, federal agencies are doing from those inventories that that continue to be um, updated. Um, you know, there's, 
you know, how can you use AI to get through documents faster and provide more insights there? Are there ways it might be helpful for sort of, you know, creating rules and getting better insight and rules? Are there are just sort of, is there like low hanging fruit to deal with technical problems and things like that? Um, at the same time, there is an increasing focus on well and, uh, as well on some of those higher um, stakes applications of AI, things that could impact people's civil rights, could impact you know, provision of benefits um, to uh, people who interact with the federal government. Um, and I think the conversation that's been spurred by the executive order has really continued and, and people in sort of the upper ranks of these agencies, tech teams are, are fairly cognizant of some of the risks that AI presents as well. Yeah, and I'd be curious, just as a quick follow-up, Rebecca, you know, it, there were quite a few agencies that are, are taking a step back and, you know, saying, maybe we'll address this at a later point. We're going to try to figure out how this fits and how to put the right guardrails in place. But it seems like there are some agencies that are a little bit more bullish on it at the same time, right? Yeah, some agencies definitely seem more excited by AI. It shouldn't be surprising that like the science agencies are particularly excited to apply this. Um, uh, NASA obviously using a lot of AI. Um, they they disclose like one of their rovers on the moon or, or Mars or something as like AI and things like that. But you know, there's definitely like a wide wide range from agencies that have like a couple use cases that are pretty. Um, conservative to much more aggressive applications. And, you know, that just sort of reflects the, the diversity of what federal agencies do in the government. So, you know, along with the executive order, one of the things that came with it was this new draft OMB guidance that accompanies the EO. Um, and it seems that many agencies have already gotten on a, ju a jump start on many of the things laid out there, including uh, the requirement that they enlist what are now being called chief AI officers uh, for federal agencies. Um, those are required within CFO Act agencies. Um, and you know, you you two have reported uh, on a number of these placements, and there's a great article and, and tracking article on FedScoop of, of where some of these CAIOs are uh, being point, appointed across the federal government already. So tell me sort of the, the state of, of that new role um, and how it's being rolled out across government and, and give me some more details and, and the listeners some more details on what those CAIOs are going to be responsible for. So as you, as you mentioned, even though this isn't required yet, a lot of agencies are just jumping on it and they're naming their CIO. Um, you know, those individuals were uh, part of that first interagency meeting and will be part of those interagency meetings going forward. Um, and they're really going to be kind of the, the point person for AI at agencies. Um, and there was a precursor position to this under a previous Trump administration uh, EO, the responsible AI official. Um, this, this new position will take on a lot of those responsibilities. Uh, it looks like maybe some agencies are going to keep both. Um, some people might be rolling it into one. Um, but a lot of the people that we've seen taking on these roles right now are, you know, chief data officers, chief data scientists. Um, but there's, you know, every now and then we'll, we'll see one where uh, I think it's the Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development. It's their, it's their chief financial officer who is their CAO. So agents, it's up to agencies' discretion. We are seeing a little bit of variation in terms of the people being selected for these positions, but um, typically it's those who have some connection to the IT side, the data side of things. 
That's very interesting. And, you know, as, as mentioned, that's that's a draft guidance now. Um, any insight on, you know, when that will become official at this point? At this point, um, I, I I don't know if we've got a good read on that, um, but we'll definitely be following that as as it moves forward. That's great. Um, and, and so, you know, agencies have this North Star in the EO that's guiding them towards, you know, AI adoption and safe AI adoption. But I'm curious, you know, as, as the two of you have been out covering and reporting on this, are there any top concerns or challenges that you've seen agencies more regularly encounter in the early days since President Biden signed the order? I think one of the challenges that we've kind of noticed is generally these AI deployments are not always the smoothest um, operations. We wrote about one case at the DOJ where they were talking about an AI uh, use case that they had that had been in a pilot stage for more than three years, but seemingly like no updates on that. Um, you know, that that's kind of interesting, uh, the Department of Homeland Security has, has updated its list um, several times, uh, sort of showing like, you know, uh, like there's a lot, there's like a lot going on. It's not always the smoothest operation. Um, and I, I think that, that that's like certainly clear in, in, in the kind of views that we're reporting. I think one thing that was interesting, I just spoke with um, Don Bayer in the house who is pretty active on AI. Um, issues and, you know, the kind of overarching challenge is that this is an executive order. It's not a law that, um, you know, like went through Congress and, and was signed by the president. And that sort of creates like an inherent instability. Those could be rescinded at any time. And so one of the concerns he talked about was, you know, like actually instantiating things like the NIST risk, AI risk management framework and things like that into, into law, because that's still not something that's happened. Um, so that's sort of like a giant overarching theme on, on how federal agencies are thinking about this technology right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not totally uh, beyond reach that a new president could be in office and totally rescind it uh, in, in only a couple months. So definitely a lot to watch there. Um, Rebecca, you did some great reporting and had a story out this week on potential troubles that agencies who fund AI research could face based on data sets that models are being trained on. Uh, in the case of your story, I made it your data set contain uh, child sex abuse material. Um, tell me more about the issue and what your story reveals. Yeah, so there was this really important report that came out of Stanford last month highlighting how Lion 5B, um, which is a pretty popular data set that's used by um, some you know, well-known um, generative AI systems, had inadvertently um, included uh, child sexual abuse material. And the reason why that happens is because these data sets are collected from the open web. And as we all know, not everything on the open web is is uh you know good like kind of good content some of it is uh dangerous and some of it is illegal um and uh you know this you know the stanford report report pointed out that sort of other strategies for taking this out of the data set hadn't been um taken and inadvertently um been used by so many different um researchers around the world and, and that's sort of what my story looked at um but in particular what i wanted to sort of highlight there was that the government and federal agencies, particularly science agencies, are being encouraged to, you know, build models and build AI tools and things like that. And this is a, a risk that they potentially encounter um, when using this. In, in the case of our reporting, we found that, you know, a researcher at 
uh, an institute funded by NSF had like also worked on this data set project. It wasn't that the government was actively like funding it, but it shows that this is like, you know, around, uh, um, you know, pro prominent and well-respected AI researchers. And it, it's a risk that, that they have to think about. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to NSF about it and they basically said, this is a really, this sort of lends credence to the importance of actually building like a federally supported research, uh, resource, sorry, for AI um, research and, and not necessarily always being reliant on this kind of data. It was a long-winded answer. But no, no, that's great. And it seems like a very sorry. tricky situation, a potentially slippery slope. If if there's not a national AI research resource or something like it that's you know out there to um, be watching for these potential pitfalls. And 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 Maddie, it, you you've followed up and and followed uh, the, the NAIR, as they call it, the National AI Research Resource that has a pilot, and uh, this week made some news around that. Uh, tell me what's the latest with that that pilot. So this is one of the things that was outlined in Biden's executive order. This was a 90-day requirement. And on Wednesday, the National Science Foundation announced that they were launching the pilot for the NAIR, which is uh, it's typically described as a, a research infrastructure, a shared research infrastructure. Um, and, and what it's designed to do is really bring um, elements together, data sets, software, um, and provide access for researchers. Uh, so the pilot was launched with about 10 agencies and multiple industry partners, including companies like Microsoft and Intel, um, who are providing their resources for access on, on this platform. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch going forward um, because there will likely be research projects that you know come out of that and rely on that resource as well. That's great. Um, to close out, you know, it, we're a few weeks into 2024. It seems like there's new developments on an almost daily basis uh, that we're tracking on FedScoop. Um, I'm curious, you know, with that in mind, what will you be following next? Are there certain trends or themes or, or specific uh, items, whether it's in the executive order or outside of it, that um, the two of you are, are watching closely? I think something that we're both watching going forward is how agencies are approaching generative AI tools. Um, we've done some reporting on this already. Uh, it, it varies from agency to agency, as I think Rebecca mentioned, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how those policies evolve over time. Uh, it's definitely something that we're watching. Another thing related to the EO that we're watching is uh, how Congress is going to uh, respond to the executive order, potentially codifying things, potentially providing funding. Um, and that should be something to watch over the next few weeks, months. Yeah, those are all super important things that we, we want to be following. Um, the other thing on my plate that I, I think is interesting um, is, is the use of AI by the FAA. I have um, been going through a set of documents related to a couple AI use cases by that agency, which I think is sort of interesting because it's not a science agency. It's also not like a kind of procedural agency. It's very active in uh, people's everyday lives. And it's also super overburdened. And I'm, I'm interested to look at how they're using AI and whether it's going well or not going well and um, you know what kind of lessons that, that has for federal agencies as they continue to go down this path. Yeah, you've done a great job following FAA recently, um, had a really cool story out a few weeks ago, um, but it seems like one of those things that the airspace is just going to become more and more um, trafficked and, 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 and burdened with, with, you know, more and more, uh, you know, commercial uh, 
flights and, and spacecraft and things of that nature that AI will definitely play a part automating some of that um, to make sure it runs more smoothly. So uh, definitely we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but, you know, this is a fantastic conversation, definitely something we'll continue to follow. So uh, Maddie, Rebecca, really appreciate your time and uh, definitely want to point the listeners to just keep, a, keep an eye on the, the great work that the two of you are doing. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You can learn more about the AI executive order at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.